Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. A scripture reading for this morning, Psalm 23. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes while I read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. If you could grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 23. So I have um, every year uh, I get a month to study and rest. And so I just had that. So for you that have been here and are just visiting for the past few weeks, you have no idea who I am. My name is Boog. Nice to meet you guys. We are going to finish up your verse this morning, uh, which is the series we've been going through, and we're going to overlap with where we're headed. And I'll give you some idea of where we're going here shortly, but uh, open up to Psalm 23. And here's my question for you guys in view of my vacation. Why does it take so long to let go? Or another way to say it is that why, does it, why is it so hard to give up? Now, give up sounds like a negative, but I mean it in the positive. Like, why does it take so long to, oh. Now, you're supposed to, God commands in his word because he cares for us, that we, every week we take one day where there's no work. And if I were to have you raise your hands, I bet there's only a few of you that actually do it, which is kind of disappointing for us as the people of God that there's very few people that are actually obeying God by taking a day of rest because we feel guilty about it. But we need to do it. And you know you need to do it when you go on vacation. For me, when I go, it takes me several days to get there. And what I mean by that is those first few days, I'm with my family, and I'm pretty much the worst husband at that point. Because everything starts to come out, and I'm mean, and then she's on rest, and she's mean back, so it's just a beautiful marriage during that time. And then my kids can do nothing right, and their dad can do that. It's all this, and it's just like this, this tenseness. It's almost like the Hulk. We're all like the Hulk family, and we've all just got this tenseness all through our bodies because we can't let go. Now, to help you with that imagery of letting go, it, it's like if you've ever had a massage or if you've ever really learned how to do stretching. Most people have no clue really how to stretch. 
Um, as a coach and as a former athlete, like it's important that I pass that on to everyone I know, how you're really supposed to stretch. Because most people will stretch this way. They're like, oh, I need to stretch my muscles. So they kind of go like this, oh, yeah, oh, okay, let's go. And it takes forever to really fully stretch. And so I've tried to teach my kids that, to talk about breathing and resting and and they start here, and then if you keep resting, you, you move into the stretch. And if you ever go to a, a, a masseuse, I went to one a couple years ago. It was my first time. It was not a very enjoyable experience. I'd seen the pictures and the videos, and it looked beautiful when other people had it. But it's very painful. And so uh, this woman was doing it, and she's using her elbow, and she's got all these tools and they might as well be power tools because they turned on and they did all this painful stuff to me. But she would, at one point, she was taking her elbow and putting it into my, um, into my back. And then she's moving down into my hip and she's like, okay, it hasn't released yet. It hasn't let go. And I'm like, I can tell. And she goes, she just kept pushing. She goes, it's okay, we're going to get there. And then she goes, oh, did you feel that? It released. And you can feel it. You can feel, and you don't even know you have that tension in your body until it's released. And I'm like, well, let's do it somewhere else. So she's doing it in my calves and my shoulders and all these other places where you don't know that you're just, you're restless. And through that process, it releases. And some of us have this tenseness in our soul and it's not released. And we carry it with us all the time. That's one of the reasons why we're supposed to take rest. That's why we're supposed to be alone with him, to not work, so that we can rest, so that we can let go, so that we can give up. And so during this time, um, I became more and more familiar with the reality that I was not letting go, that there were things that were building up. And you need to have that time where you can separate and let it happen. And um, there's this phrase that we use called restless. Um, some of our prayers that we put to music talk about our restless souls. Take that word and break it down for a second. Rest less, which means there's no rest. You're having less rest. And uh, I wrote down a few things that helped me to think of what that looks like. Um, for example, there's, this, there's conflict, right? There's conflict in your body. There's conflict with other people. So then that goes to your body and to your soul. There's conflict with your fear. We have this fear that surrounds us and, and we can't rest. How many times have you been in your house at night and you can't go to sleep? Sometimes it's because your spouse knocks you and says, hey, I heard something. And then nobody can sleep, right? Because there's that fear of something in the house. Or you wake up. I was talking with some guys last night. They said, when I wake up, I just can't go back to sleep. Both guys sit at the same time. Why? Because they just can't fall asleep? No, because they're restless. Because their mind starts going. There's all these things they're thinking about. What about this? What about that? What about that? Well, this happens, and this happens, and this happens. What about that person? What about my money? What about this? All this restlessness. And that's why they can't rest. You know what I'm talking about, right? For those of you who are parents, some of your kids are back in school, and everything just turned upside down. Some of you were single parents, and everything just got thrown all over the place. Literally, everything's all over the place. In your car, in your house, in your schedule. Wait, how much is that going to cost? Wait, how much for this dance? How much for ASB? What, 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 what? And then if you're married, 
Ugh. Everyone's upset because everything just got changed and turned upside down. It's this restlessness. It's this inability to relax and to let go. The Bible is filled, especially in the Old Testament, with psalms that people share. Because that's what a psalm is. A psalm is not God speaking to us. It's us speaking to God or about God or about our situation. That's what the psalms are. And the psalms are feared with, filled with restless people talking to God, saying, help me, protect me, look out for me, I'm restless. And a lot of it is fear-based. In fact, I want us to look at this passage right here. These words that are highlighted are all through the Old Testament. Rock, fortress, deliverer, refuge, shield, horn of my salvation, stronghold. This particular psalm happens to hold them all. But if you look into the Old Testament, the people who were so restless would always look to God and say, use these words, these words that for them, they were always afraid. Talk about, wait, is the front door locked? They're afraid of attacking Bedouins. They're, they're afraid of people coming to them and attacking them because they're out in the desert. It's wide open. So for them to be up high, to have a fortress, to have a shield, those, those were imageries of how they could protect themselves. For us, we're like, oh, what's that sound? Is it a coyote outside? For them, they're afraid of spears and swords and people coming to steal and take from them and take their lives and to take their families and their kids. So they beg to the Lord. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Can you feel that word? Refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation save me, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. What we're going to look at this morning, for me, was a big turnaround for me. It's Psalm 23. It's David looking back on his life. He's an older man at this time. We don't know exactly, but we can tell by the way he's talking that he's looking back because he's saying what God has done for him. And this psalm is one of my verses. We talk about your verse. God's word is there to rest in our hearts. And I, during my time off, had to pray this all the time, memorized it, went through it. Before I went away, when I was tense, in the next couple weeks, as I turn back into the Hulk again, I'm going to be praying Psalm 23 because it reminds me of who is my rock, who is my fortress. But there's a whole new imagery. The new imagery is, is the Lord is my shepherd because David is looking back at his life and saying the Lord is, was, and will be my shepherd. And if anyone's going to know what that means, it's David, because David was a shepherd. Now, I know as we're talking about this imagery of being a shepherd and sheep, all of us are pretty much lost. I'm, I'm assuming, does anyone here own any sheep? No? Anyone here been a shepherd? Right. We're clueless. We don't know much about sheep. The only time we ever see sheep is when we go to those petting farms. And most of the time, we don't even want to do that. 
And so we don't. We let the kids touch it, and then we make them wash their hands a lot. But we try to stay away from this world so we don't understand it. But there's such richness in this psalm. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do this overlap. We're going from your verse today, and then we're going to transition into going through this entire psalm. As David looks back and gives thanks to God, we want to be able to say the same thing. We want to be able to let go, to have that restlessness disappear like David could talk about. Does that mean that David never turned into the Hulk? Does that mean that he never got all tense? No. But this psalm that we're going to look at will bring rest. It brought him back. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, open up Psalm 23 for this morning. We're just going to go through verses 1 through 3. So David is looking back, and um, you need to know something about sheep. These sheep, they're not very smart. Now remember, David is presenting himself as a sheep. So he's saying, I'm not very smart. They also will follow each other recklessly, which means they will follow the other sheep where they go, even if they're going to the wrong spot. If the sheep goes over the edge of the cliff, you can see the rest of the sheep just go, woohoo, and they'll just follow. They don't think through what they're doing. Sound familiar? Um, they will beat each other up. They, a lot of times they do not get along. You can have certain sheep together and their personalities don't mix and they'll bite each other and they'll run into each other and they'll fight each other. So the shepherd has to come in to kind of settle things out because they can't get along. They cannot recognize danger. They know there's danger all around, but they don't know where it is. So they just walk around in perpetual fear. I mean, imagine their heart rates. I don't know if anyone's ever done a study on that, but just check their heart rates. Does their heart rate ever go down? It's like, it's always up because they're always afraid because they know there's fear out there, but they also know they can't recognize it, which makes me wonder how in the world did sheep make it this far without shepherds? Think about it. How did they make it through life? They will kill themselves for food. If, if this helps you, the analogy breaks down. But to some degree, since you're familiar with animals, you're familiar with dogs, whether you like them or not, you know dogs. Dogs will just keep eating. I've had several dogs. I've gone through several dog training courses. I am the dog whisperer. But no one can whisper to a dog and tell them to stop eating. They'll just keep going. There's never enough. So for the sheep, there's never enough. For us, there never seems to be enough. We always want more. So the shepherd has to look out to make sure that he can gauge how much they eat so they don't kill themselves. And as we can tell overall, they just don't live well on their own. So you need to know those things as we look into this passage for the next few weeks. And we'll highlight that and look at other elements of sheep. But it's, this psalm is very specific because it's an individual psalm. Now, as we've talked about with the Word of God, almost all of the Word of God is talking to us as a people. It's talking to the y'alls, not the you. However, in this psalm, it's structured very specifically for Middle East poetry, and it has, it has six verses, but it has seven parts. And it's structured in such a way that, that David is making it very clear that he's talking about himself. He's not talking about Israel. Hey, Israel, the Lord is your shepherd. That's elsewhere. But in this particular psalm, you'll notice he, he changes from the first person to the third person. So in the first verse, the fourth, and the seventh, as I'm going to show you really briefly here, he uses personal pronouns. Um, first person, me, I. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Then you go to verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When we look in our Bible, we talk about this all the time here. If it says you, almost always, that could be translated y'all. But in this psalm, no. He's talking about himself. He's being very specific. Verse 7, or verse 6, but the seventh part of the, the poem. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this passage begins with the Lord is my shepherd. The way that this is broken down grammatically, it's saying the Lord is my shepherd, but it's saying the Lord shepherds me. That is a huge, huge difference because the Lord is doing the work. Do you hear that? So another way to say that is the Lord shepherds me. That sends chills through my body because I pray this all the time. But it is so good to know that the Lord is the one that's shepherding me. Because I know this, those of you that know me know this, I have no clue what I am doing. And to know that He is shepherding me gives me so much rest and allows me to let go. During this vacation, I was with one of my best friends, um, George Hulse, and their family. We met together. And we went down on this river trip. You know, one of those things you do on vacation that you would never do. A thing that, you, well, I'm a chintz, so when we go to do this, I'm like, how much is this? And I try not to look, and I make my wife do it, so I don't actually see how much it costs for me to pay for my whole family just to go down a river. I'm always thinking, well, why don't we go get a raft at Walmart? We just put it in, and we go down. And I've done that before. I have, I have had them in my garage, all kinds of cheap little rafts for Yosemite and elsewhere. But for this particular trip, we did it together. We put all the kids in one and the adults in the other. And as we're going down, George and I are just talking about our lives and the wives. We're talking all together. And we're looking back. And one of the questions that you always get when you're with friends is, how are you doing? How's your life? And then another question we get, because we're pastors, is how's the church? Um, like, I can answer that. And the imagery that we came up with together was so beautiful that I want to share, with it, share it to you this morning because I think it defines perfectly what it means to say the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We were talking about the church and, and leading and we realized we don't know what we're doing. When we start out, we do all this massive work. And, but really, it's, it's like going down that river. They call it the lazy river. There were sections that weren't very lazy, but for the most part, you're going to get to where you're headed. And if the Lord is shepherding you, if you choose to jump into his river, he's going to get you there. And so we're floating down and we said, you know what, leading the church, it's much like just being in the river. The Lord's going to take you where he's going to take you. You could paddle a little bit here, a little bit there. You can kind of direct a little bit, but really you're not in control. Now you can't just sit there because you're supposed to participate. That's why you're given a paddle. And so in this life, we're all, in our lives, given paddles. We're, we're supposed to co-labor with the Lord. But he's in charge. And it's such a freeing experience. So we're floating down this lazy river and talking about that. And I was reminded, the Lord is shepherding me. The Lord, I'm in the right river. I'm headed in the right direction. 
I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, yeah, I'm paddling a little bit here, there. You know, we, we, the kids are in the other one, so of course it becomes a competition, like life. And so we're going down the river, and we're like, oh, look, I didn't get caught at all on those rocks. Look at you, you're stuck, woo-hoo-hoo, yelling back and forth, hassling each other, you know, like good parents and kids do. So we're heading down, and then there's times where it seems like nothing's happening. You're sitting still, and you look around, there's all the other rafts, and you're stuck with people you don't know, and you're like, hey. You don't really want to be around them because you don't know them. You just want to be out on your own, but you're stuck. And then there's times where it's very fast, and you're flying down, and, and it gets a little sketchy. Like, you kind of go, what if I fall out? And, and, and so we're paddling, and, and George's like, oh, I got this, I got this. And we start to, we're both control freaks. So, no, I got this, no, I got this. And so we both got the piles, the ladies are just laughing at us. And then we start spinning, and then we, we really don't know what we're doing. And then at one point, we're down at the bottom, after we've gotten stuck on rocks a few times, stuck up against them till someone knocked us loose. And I see our kids flying down this fast part. And if you come out here to the Pilgrim or a real pirate ship, on the front, they call them figureheads or nautical figureheads. So there's a nautical figurehead on the kid's raft, and it's my daughter. And they're flying down, and she is just so carefree. She's leaning out the front like this. So carefree because she knows she's taken care of. She's flying down this river, and I'm the dad. And so I see the rapids, and I see all the rocks sticking out. And I'm like, if they hit one of those rocks, she's going to be like a projectile missile that's going to fly out. Still smiling. But, and so I'm all afraid because the fear starts to come in again. But she's carefree because she knows that she's being shepherded by this river. Do you know that the Lord is your shepherd? That's why I tear up when I, that's why we're going through this for four weeks. This is all about me. Because this psalm means so much to me. I want it to mean something to you because I want you to know that freedom that my daughter had as she's flying down that river to know that the Lord is shepherding you. And you don't have to want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, when we say makes me lie down, I don't know what translation you have. I love the one that Jared read. If you were to go to the original Hebrew, a better way to look at this is he settles me down in green pastures. Why are they in green pastures? To rest. And sheep do not rest. They don't like to rest. They need to make sure that there's no insects around, any irritants or they, they can't have any injuries, any cuts, any infections, because if they do, they will not rest. If they have enemies, if they, don't, if they know there's enemies around or because they don't have a clue of danger, if they think there may be, then they will not rest. If um, they're not getting along, they will not rest. So the shepherd does not come down and push down the, sh the sheep. He does not take them out by the legs and then pin them to the ground. So when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures, it means he settles me down. Have you ever had someone tell you that? Hey, settle down. Never works, does it? It just makes you get more angry. Who are you to tell me to settle down? You don't know. So it doesn't work. Using the dog analogy. Have you ever tried to get a dog to sit by pushing them down? Doesn't work. Lay down. And you stand on top of them, they'll just arch like a complete you. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work with us either. But when we know that the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want then we know that he's the one that protects us. We know that he's the one that's going to bring peace with us with others. Everything seems to fade to the background because we know who he is. And then we can settle down into these green pastures.
He leads me beside still waters. Now why, why would he need to lead me beside still waters? Because they need to drink, right? But here's the deal with sheep. The water is there. The water of life is right there. But if the water's moving, they will not drink from it because they're scared. I was just watching last week um, when Esh was teaching and I was sitting here and I know I should have been paying attention to the message, but I wasn't. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you just woke up and started paying attention to me. So I was staring out there and I saw this little dog on one of those sups, uh, stand-up paddleboard, in case you don't know. So it was on the stand-up paddleboard and someone, this couple decided to take their little puppy out. So the puppy's out there and you can tell the puppy's like, this is not cool. All just down here low so that the, the board is now on the shore. There's a bridge between the board holding the water and the sand together. So all that this dog has to do is just walk off. So they walk off and they just stare at the puppy and the puppy stands up, looks around, not, not doing it. And I'm sitting there going, what a dumb dog. Like, get up, walk across. That's what dogs do, right? That's what we do. That's what sheep do. So what the shepherd has to do, because the sheep will just go up and down the river. They will die of thirst going up and down the river, back and forth, back and forth. So the shepherd, since you don't know about shepherds, right, because no one raised their hands, the shepherd will have to go to the river and then dig out a little tributary so the water will flow over there. And then it's just kind of stuck off to the side. And then all the sheep are like, okay, the water's still, it's not moving, now I can drink. And then they'll all come over and drink. Or they build all these, they have all these little tools, techniques that they do to provide still water for the sheep because they know their sheep. Do they kick their sheep and yell at them like, oh my gosh, get over here, get off the board, drink the water. No. They understand. The shepherds understand. God knows us. And so David, looking back at his life, said the Lord was the one that led me to him, to the living waters, when I was too afraid, when I couldn't settle, when I was so restless. He provided a way for me to come to him. He restores my soul. Now this is one of my favorite parts, and this is the last part of the verse we're going to look at this morning. It's one of my favorite parts because I had no idea what it really meant. He restores my soul. Just from English, I love it. He restores my soul. It's like when your computer which none of us do because we're afraid it's going to mess everything up. But if you were to say, restore to default settings or factory settings, why don't I restore it to the way it was supposed to be when it came out, when everything worked correctly? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you first get your computer, like, wow, it's so fast. And then you start working on it for a couple months, and it's like, And so you know you should restore it to the default setting so that it works correctly. He restores my soul. He sets me back to my default setting. That's just beautiful. But that's not what this means. It does, but there were no computers back then, so that's not what he meant. To restore my soul, when he talks about that, he's using that imagery of the sheep. Sheep get fat. I know some of you are like, I know, right? Because you're talking about yourselves. But what we're talking about here is not necessarily body fat. They get wool, and the wool gets bigger. It's like a huge afro. So these sheep get these huge afros. 
And they become very heavy and they become uncoordinated and unstable. And so they tip over all the time. They'll have a circumstance in their journey where as they're walking, they fall over and they just can't get up. You been there before? David has. David's looking back at his life and he's saying, how many times did I really jack things up to the point where I couldn't get out of it? We're not going to look at the history of David right now, but I mean, he did some stuff that will blow your mind. The thing that, that always sticks in my mind when I know that God is patient with me is when I know that he restored David, even though David had a man killed because he wanted to be with his wife. Does it get much worse than that? And yet God still restored him. And so he can look back and say, you know, I was tipped over. Have you ever seen like um, an insect or a cockroach or whatever those bugs are, when they flip over, they just, they, no matter what happens, they're going to die in that position because they cannot get back up. That's the way sheep are. So the shepherd has to come up and restore them. In the Old Testament, it says, why are you so downcast, my soul? To be cast is when a sheep turns over upside down. So to be cast is to be upside down in a situation where you can't turn it back up. Have you ever had your soul downcast? Where no matter what you do or say, you can't seem to get out of that mood, to get out of that upside downness. That's what this means. And so David is looking back at his life. And he says, you restore my soul. And this is what I want to make sure you hear from this part of it. Not at any point does the shepherd stand over the sheep and go, are you kidding me? Again? One, sheep don't, sheep don't speak English. They don't speak Aramaic. They don't speak Spanish. They don't speak German. They don't speak any of our languages. So it doesn't work. You can get as mad as you want. They, they don't recognize that either. The shepherd expects that. Now, I know we're at church and we're supposed to tell you, don't make mistakes. You're going to. You're going to be cast. David, who God said was a man after his own heart, was also one of the biggest idiots that ever walked the planet. And yet God loved him and knew that he would mess up. Doesn't mean he said, great job. But his job is to step in there and to restore us. He takes on that role. And David looks back in awe, saying, he restored my soul. I was cast, and he restored me. So later in this, when he says, surely grace and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, he's like, because it's always been there. He's always been there. During my time of rest, I could look back and just be reminded over and over again, yeah, I'm pretty much like a sheep or one of the many dogs I love, but God is patient with me. Are you patient with yourself? Are you patient with others? Because look around, you're surrounded by sheep. When you leave out here, going to be some more sheep. When you get home, sheep. Work, sheep. And they're going to be cast. They're going to do ridiculous things. Don't be surprised, but take on the attitude of Jesus. Take on the attitude of your Father, the Good Shepherd, who is patient with us. So be patient with each other. Be patient with yourself. Like David, I want you to be able to look back at your life and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He was my shepherd. He will be my shepherd. 
Do you recognize him? Are you in the right river? Because there's all kinds of rivers, and some of them are not the right ones. But to know that you're in the right one, where you know you're going in the right direction, that he's guiding you. Sure, you're going to do your paddling, but you know that even regardless of your messed up paddling technique, that he's still going to get you to where he wants you to be. Do you know that? Oh, I want so badly for you to know that because the worst thing that could happen is for us to not know that. To look back at life and go, oh my gosh, I blew it. For so many years, he wasn't my shepherd. If that's you this morning, we want to give you that opportunity to make the decision to make the Lord your shepherd, which means you hand your life over to him. You make the decision like, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step into your river. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to paddle right when you say paddle right. I'm going to paddle left when you say paddle left. I'm going to mess up. I'm expecting that, but I'm trusting that you're going to restore me. This tenseness is going to come. For some reason, it just doesn't disappear. But I know that it's not from you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We were meant to be in rest. So when you feel that tenseness, you know that at that moment, you are not allowing the Lord to shepherd you. You are knowing that you are not resting in green pastures. You know that you are so tensed up, you are so hulked up for whatever reason that you cannot drink from the living water. Can't have that because we love you. I want to close with this because, well, I can't say it nearly as well as other people. And one of my uh, heroes in sharing the good news of Jesus is a guy named Fred Craddock. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, um, at 86. An amazing pastor, preacher, an amazing man. He's like this granddad that you just want to be around. And he was looking back at his life, but he was looking back at his life with his dad. And he was with his dad uh, all the way to the end as his dad looked back on his life. And so um, I want to share this in closing. So he tells this story. He says, when the pastor used to come from my mother's church to call on him, my father would say, you don't care about me. I know how churches are. They're in the South. They talk like that. You want another pledge, another name, right? Another name, another pledge. Isn't that the whole point of church? Get another name, another pledge. So my nervous mother would run to the kitchen, crying for fear somebody's feelings would be hurt. When we had an evangelistic campaign, the pastor would bring the evangelist. So they had a special person that would come into town that was the evangelist. And he'd introduce him to my father, and then he would say, sick him, get him, sick him, get him. And then the dad would say back, you don't care about me, another name, another pledge, another name, another pledge. I don't know about churches. And Craddock says, I guess I heard it a thousand times from my dad. But one time, he didn't say it. He was at the veterans hospital. He was down to 74 pounds. They had taken out his throat and put in a metal tube. And they said, Mr. Craddock, you should have come earlier. But this cancer is awfully far advanced. We'll give radium, but we don't know. So I went in to see him, and in every window were potted plants and flowers. 
everywhere there was a place to set them, potted plants and flowers. Even in that thing that swings out over your bed that they put food on, there was a big flower. There was by his bed a stack of cards 10 or 15 inches deep. I looked at the cards sprinkled in the flowers. I read the cards beside his bed. And I want to tell you that every card, every blossom, every potted plant was from groups. Sunday school classes, women's groups, youth groups, men's Bible class, my mother's church, every one of them. My father saw me reading them, and he could not speak, but he took the Kleenex box, and he wrote something on the side of the box. It was from Shakespeare's Hamlet. And he wrote, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. And so Fred Craddock said to his dad, what's your story, daddy? And he wrote, I was wrong. We don't want any of us to look back and to say, I was wrong. The Lord wasn't my shepherd. You have that opportunity this morning. You have that for the rest of your lives to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then you can look back and say, I did that right. I wasn't wrong there. I want to pray for us and invite the worship team up to lead us in prayer. Father God, we surrender to you. I pray that over the next few weeks as we look at this passage that you will uh, really open up our hearts to your relationship with David, to the relationship that you want to have with us. Teach us how to rest in you. Teach us how to not want because you are shepherding us. Show us what that looks like practically. To trust you. To let you comfort us to let you be with us. Lord, we want to say like David did that um, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. So Father, during this time of music and prayer, guide our hearts and our minds. We want to hear from you, but we also want to, like David, sing to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes we hear a sermon like this and we first think, great, great, okay, now this is what I'm going to go do. But before we go there, I want to remind everybody that you're already in. And so we have this idea of being in, this idea of being out. And we hear this, we think, well, I need to go jump into God's river and I need to act a certain way. I want to remind, I don't need to teach you guys, I just want to remind you that you're already in. God is already in. Here, he is among us, he is with you. You are his child. I think so many of us carry around anxiety, we carry around pain, and we carry around this idea that, that God, you're just not pleased with me. And when we start from that place, it's hard to say those kinds of words. I don't know if we could put that last slide up there. Like these statements of trust, the statement you're like, well, I feel like I'm out. But if we can start from the place of knowing that you're already in, then we can rest in that. Can I get that last lyric up there from the last song? And so I just want to remind you guys that you are already in God's river. 
Jesus insists that you are his and that you are forgiven and that you are redeemed. And like David writing these Psalms, he wasn't writing it in real time. He was looking back and saying, you know, as I look back, God has been my shepherd. So as we look back, we can now hold on to saying, I am in. And we can say things like, because of that, my soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours and you are mine. So I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to have you close your eyes because I feel like when you close your eyes, you can concentrate. And let this be our prayer. My soul, my soul will rest in your embrace. Father, I am yours and you are mine. Amen? Amen. All right, go in peace, you guys. Grace and peace.